the show you're about to hear discusses films, books, and TV shows in their entirety, twists, endings, and all, without fear of spoilers. So if you don't want to know who dies, who done it, or how it all ends, we strongly advise you switch off now. Hello, I'm Paul Tyler, and welcome to Spoiler. This week, we're watching Tony Scott's 1986 action blockbuster, Top Gun. And just another final warning, we will be talking about the whole film. We will ruin it for you. So if you've not already seen Top Gun, and really, really, who are you? If you haven't already seen Top Gun, go away, watch it now, then come back to us afterwards. Have they gone? Right, on with the show. I once heard the rarely-to-be-questioned Stephen Fry talk about the realities of working on a film set. He understood just how much pressure the star of the picture is under and how much this affects their behaviour, perhaps spending more time apart from the rest of the ensemble, who generally socialise more and tend to have a gang mentality. This pressure comes from the studio, the media and ultimately us as punters. Did you hear about our latest Tom Cruise film? supposed to be rotten if you were talking about 2017's the mummy perhaps we'll do it attach the star to the film top gun wasn't the first leading role for tom cruise that was the 1983 coming of age comedy risky business but it was top gun that shot him into the stratosphere reports from the set suggest that Tom already understood that he needed to behave differently as he thought it would help his characterization of Pete Maverick Mitchell. I'm Maverick. Maverick? Does your mother not like you or something? Now let's not get too vulgar and talk about how much money this film made as its impact was all-encompassing. Bomber jackets and aviator Ray-Ban glasses sales increased by 40% and young hotshots wanting a new career as naval aviators went up by 500%. But these were not the only things that found their way into our lives and culture as a result of the movie. It also introduced many of us to a diet soft drink. Problem, Mustang? No problem. Trouble with your refreshment system? Uh, negative. In the mid-1980s, home video recorders were becoming more affordable. The film rental market was hugely popular due to the high cost of buying a VHS cassette copy outright. That was until Paramount did a deal with Pepsi, putting an advert at the beginning of the home sales version of Top Gun. There's one Diet Cola with a taste that's turning the world upside down. Diet Pepsi, the choice of a new generation. Making it actually affordable for us to buy a watch again. The choice of a new generation. And again. The choice of a new generation. And again. The choice of a new generation. You never close your eyes anymore when I kiss your lips. The general public generally adore this film. But did Tony Scott just throw some fast cars, very fast motorbikes, incredibly fast fighter jets, some hot young things, and an old Righteous Brothers song at a wall to see what stuck? Or did he know what he was doing? Friend of the show and legendary reviewer Roger Ebert suggests that movies like Top Gun are hard to review because the good parts are so good and the bad parts are so relentless 
The dogfights are absolutely the best since Clint Eastwood's electrifying aerial scenes in Firefox. But look out for the scenes where the people talk to one another. I flew with the old man. The year 51, the Ariskany. You're a lot like he was. Only better. And worse. So, do we agree? Do the airplane bits stand up? And were the talky bits that bad? And are we reveling in the thought of the upcoming Top Gun 2 Maverick? And during a hugely successful career of being the star and the name attached to films in order to get them made, carrying the pressure that sets him apart from his peers, should Tom Cruise have left the danger zone behind him? Later in the show, we'll be taking a look at Hollywood's enduring obsession with flight. But first, joining me now to discuss the exploits of Pete Maverick Mitchell and Nick Goose Bradshaw and Charlotte Charlie Blackwood are Andy Poet Goulding and <laughs> Rachel Jazz Burnett. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hiya. Uh, now then, Rachel. Um, <laughs> I know, I, do, I sit at home, I sit at home Thanks. with a computer and I always think, well, who should I, who should I go to? What should I write first? Which names? And it does, it always does. I mean, we do tend to go to you first. <laughs> you do, yeah. It does, it just seems, I don't know. <laughs> so I can say something and Andy can pull it apart. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah well, let's continue with it. Yeah, yeah, I think that would probably happen. Yeah. yeah, yeah. People are downloading this stuff. They're so, <laughs> <laughs> it's supposed must to be good, like yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is right at the beginning as well. <laughs> I mean, the last thing you'd want is a load of waffle right at the beginning before you're about to get <laughs> or something and going yeah. off on a tangent. That's I, right. I, you know, I don't know why you'd do that. <laughs> anyway, Rachel, yes, what's, your his- what's your history with the motion picture Top Gun? Weirdly, an assembly at school. So, <laughs> yeah, so I just started secondary school, get this, and um, I still can't quite fathom what he was trying to do. But first day in a new secondary school, so 11 years old, so the Top Gun had been out a couple of years, and all I can remember is the headmaster of the school just on the stage in an assembly talking about how brilliant Top Gun was. <laughs> I can't remember anything else. Like, how did it pertain to education in any way? Or can't honestly remember. But I remember him going on and on and on about the aerial shots and the cinematography. And we're all just like, right, this is our first day at school. What's this got to do with anything? Had you seen it by this point? No, I was I was 11 years old. Mm. It's not something I'd really thought about watching. It did make me want to watch it, but... He wasn't a film reviewer. He was a he was a headmaster. So I have no idea. Yeah, I must admit, your talking about. I'm going to avoid that. That's a bit <laughs> odd, isn't it? But so that weirdly is my first proper memory of anyone mentioning Top Gun. Wow. Yeah, I know. Okay, Andy. Before we get into nuts and bolts, I like this question. I'm going to stick it to you. What's your history with the motion picture Top Gun? I think I saw it for the first time just over a decade ago. So well after it came out, and uh, and well after it. It was established as a big classic, so uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a latecomer. What do you think of it, Rachel? <laughs> first, I've written just bullet points on my notes today, and the first bullet point is Christ on a bike. It's even cheesier than I remember, <laughs> <laughs> and um, and that was my my sort of enduring thought all the way through it, because I watched it when I was really young, because I did watch it shortly after my headmaster was talking about how brilliant <laughs> it was, because just pure curiosity. And I remember watching it with my sister, who was three years older, so she was a perfect age for falling in love with Tom Cruise. Mm. I wasn't the perfect age for it at all because I just didn't really get it. I loved the plane scenes. I remember getting very excited because mm-hmm. I love planes. I love Spitfires. I'm more of an old plane person. I like Spitfires and Lanks and stuff like that. I like the sound. And so I remember the sound of it and everything else and thinking, oh, it's amazing. I remember the song in the bar. Mm-hmm. Don't remember all this cheese particularly because <laughs> I was... 12, maybe 11, 12 years old. 
I didn't think much of it. And then when I watched it, and I watched it with my housemate, and it started, and we were like, wow. Wow. I just, wow. <laughs> and it's, it's just the dialogue is absolute cringe from start to finish. Mm. Absolutely awful. And I just, I felt embarrassed because Tim had never seen it, my housemate. And I was like, oh, let's watch this because we're doing it for spoiler. <laughs> Oh, I'm sure it'd be entertaining. <laughs> but, you, but I think you oh, both, really let, me, let me say, let me think is though, you both went to it thinking, um, quite, in quite a positive way, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah me too. Completely, completely, utterly positively. Mm. And because I'd enjoyed the plane sequences mm. and my headmaster was so enthusiastic about it and it's a classic and I went on IMDb first and there's lots of 9 out of 10s, 10 out of 10s even. I was thinking, oh, you know, there's obviously quite a bit to it then. Mm. There's obviously, no, there isn't. Well, this is how we know <laughs> the general public cannot be trusted. No. Uh, Andy... Rip it, rip Rachel's ideas apart. <laughs> like you always do. Yeah. Oh, it's interesting what you're saying about like the general public loving it because obviously they still do. Because the first thing I usually do when we decide to do something with a spoiler is I go uh, online and I see if I can find a cheap copy of it to buy. And usually you can find these old films for about like a penny. So I was searching for a cheap Top Gun and they're all like all the, the DVD versions of it and everything of reasonably expensive. Eventually, after a lot of trawling, I found a way to get a cheap copy of it. And the only way to get a cheap copy of Top Gun is if you buy it in a two-pack with Days of Thunder, <laughs> which is a film so bad that they'll pay you to take it out of their hands. <laughs> but yeah, I came to that, like I said, I saw it first time like about just over a decade ago. And I came to it with the impression that I didn't like it so I sat down to watch this with no great expectations and it comes up and it opens with those kind of fetishistic shots of the aircraft and then they all start taking off and they start flying and then the music segues into Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins and I was sat there thinking well this is great (laughs) and I thought if I can keep hold of this initial buzz throughout the film then that will carry me through and it did. Wow. Uh, now, I must admit, like, there's a lot I, wrong with it. I didn't think this was going this way. Keep, <laughs> no, keep going. no. Keep going. Sorry. Go on, go on, go on. Now, there is a hell of a lot wrong with it. There's a lot of peaks and troughs. As we say, the script, which I think we'll get into in more detail later, it, there's a lot wrong with the script, including the fact I think it features one of the most offensive lines I've heard in an 80s movie, which, as you can imagine, is up against some pretty stiff competition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but ultimately, I came away from this really buzzed and really happy and uh i think it's it's like a, a proper sort of big event film done really really well and coming to it with just that expectation it really delivered <laughs> wow well i'm blown away yeah. <laughs> maybe it's all about your expectations paul we expected way too much <laughs> i think so i think so um and I think it's pretty all right. We'll bring my story into this now because oh, I, I promised you probably when this first came up, I think we were talking about this um, in a production meeting, uh, which is really glorified for us sitting around talking in the pub, isn't it? <laughs> um, and I said, oh, yeah, I've got a good story about that. Now, I think probably even before I'd seen this film, sometime in the 90s, which is vague because my 90s were vague, OK? And I was at some kind of do, some kind of knees up with a DJ, someone presenting something or other. And they decided to have a Tom Cruise and Kelly McGillis look-alike competition. Now, the only thing I can say to you (laughs) is that this demonstrated how little in the room everybody else looked like Tom Cruise. (laughs) Because I got picked. 
Now, whether this whether this is just a lazy guy just got in the picking there, oh, he's you know he's had enough. He just wants to stick his Jive Bunny and the Master Mixers Mega Mix on and go to the bar. I do not know, right? He's got, yeah, you'll do. And then picked out this girl. Oh, actually, look, like well, you know, she, she had blonde hair for a start. Yeah, you'll That's do. That's always a start. And then for so I just it's all vague. But I know it happened. I know it happened. Are you sure? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm damn sure. Not like that stuff that happened at Glastonbury. I'm definitely sure. Of that, <laughs> right? um, and we had to, it was, I just remember it was so awkward because we had to do some kind of slow dance. Now, I, I don't even think he had the wit, this guy, to put Berlin's Take My Breath Away on, right? Which would have been the thing to do, wouldn't it? It was some other song. And everyone was supposed to be, you know, whooping and a hollering. It was just awkward and, you know, that rotten. Sounds, are you sure that was real? It, yeah. It, it yeah, totally oh, oh, sounds yeah. like a dream where know, you go out and all your teeth fall out it, or something. See, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm worried because we're on, we're on a podcast, we're on the radio, that people aren't going to get just how much I don't look like Tom Cruise. <laughs> and this isn't, this isn't false modesty. It really modesty. doesn't look like Tom Cruise. Can this we post a modesty. picture up for the episode of you yeah. in Aviator? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, post cool. a picture of me by all means, but um, No. <laughs> Oh, has anyone got an aviation? No one hasn't, do they? No. My daughter's got I'll Photoshop some on you. Yeah, that'll do, that'll do the trick. <laughs> so that'll be the cover. Um, so, yeah, that was just, it was just awkward and sort of there. But when he came, oh, the film, you say. What did I think of the film? <laughs> right. I know. So I was actually, I was looking forward to this. You know, it's like, as we know, I'm not always looking forward to this, watching the things we, we select. <laughs> and I put it off and put it off and put it off. Actually, this was probably a month or so ago, pretty much wow. straight away. I was like, right, it's on Now TV. Get the, get it on there. And I understand it's cheesy. I understand everything else about it. The flight scenes are in, are still incredible. We have a very hard to impress 14-year-old at home. And she was going, oh, she looked, she thought, when was this made? It looks like it's been made recently. They still stand up. They really do. I, yes, it's cheesy and boy is it sweaty I mean it's a sweaty <laughs> sweaty cheesy it's so film, sweaty isn't it? it's unbelievably but this, but this sweaty is, you, you just, I look at this and it's movie star sweat they don't sweat like I do you no, know they've I'm been run- sprayed they've yeah. been sprayed with you know I'm a runner right I come home from a run I do not look like that I don't look like Tom Cruise either. <laughs> I think if you sat at home wondering, it's Jim Kerr. I think, you know, an older Jim Kerr. I'm not, as, you know, he's, he's, he's eaten a bit these days. So he's, but someone once came up to me in a club and was convinced I was Jim Kerr. Oh, from that's all right. Why do you say that? He's like, he's like 15, 20 years older than me. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't impressed. Anyway. So. <sighs> besides my better judgment. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, <laughs> I really. No one's more surprised than me that I did as well. But yeah, yeah um, it's always. I like, really did. Can we keep keep those sighs in there, Johnny? Because it deserves that. Because it deserves thinking about. It's like me questioning myself before I say it out loud. You know, thinking where well, you mm, is this mm, is it right? Because the, you say there's a lot. You know, there are some lot. There's a lot wrong with it. Time has definitely moved on since then. But sometimes it's that that instinctual kind of reaction that is the films you love the most, isn't it? Because mm. the, you just connect to it despite everything, and and you want to go back to it because it gives you that buzz. But they do sweat a lot, don't oh they? Well, the, the last bullet point that I have on my list is um, a quote from Tim, my housemate. Why are they so sweaty? They're immensely sweaty. I'm sure it's quite hot, but it's rather off-putting. <laughs> <laughs> that night when you were mistaken for Tom Cruise, were you sweating profusely yeah, or something? Yeah, maybe it was, was, a sweat. What it was? Probably, probably. <laughs> there's, there, there's that guy. But, uh, I've got a really weird criticism at this point. Just picking up on what you were saying about the flying scenes, Paul. And this is this sounds ridiculous for someone who enjoyed Top Gun. But I don't like the flying scenes. What? Uh, um, what? That's great. I, I just get out. I find <laughs> them <laughs> here, Andy. But really, come on. I find them too <laughs> frenetic, and I can't. They're flying. 
dying. I can't follow what's <laughs> I can't follow what's going on though. It's like you get, it's obviously it. like I know there's only a certain way to do it, but you get a shot of a plane and you get a shot of a close up face and you're like, who's that? Oh, too late, we're on another close the up face. On the and you're like, what's the name on the helmet? <laughs> Quick, read it. Oh no, no, it's cut away to some more planes. Oh no, now here's someone else. Oh, they're saying something, what's going on? Something coming in from the left to try and help me out. No, it's gone. Who was that? Who's that now? Oh, they've landed. They won, apparently. And so it's like, oh, that's brilliant. I, d- I just like, yeah, I mean, even, even if I stopped it and went, all oh, right, that's who's saying that, it's still just faces and then planes and then faces and planes, and it, it's so quick. That so, I'd just get lost. I think that's where I cared so little about the characters <laughs> and, and the story. I didn't care who it was who was in the plane. I just enjoyed the planes. Could, could you follow what was going on yeah. with the planes? Yeah, I could. Because I, I get... I'm like this, though, with action films. I get lost when too much happens. I know what you mean. I'm a little bit like that. I did get it, but I wondered if that was the remnants of my spongy 12-year-old brain that remembered it. And now my 42-year-old brain's going... I'll just mix with that bit and oh yeah it's it's I remember it's those people yeah. I still don't really think, get what happened with the with the wash and the thing and the beep beep and I don't know yeah. but- <laughs> <laughs> you see that that's like that was sort of an oral equivalent of how I <laughs> how I see those scenes it's it's right and I know everyone raves about them but no, so but it, I mean it says something about the rest of the film I guess that I enjoyed it so much that's amazing. Even though I didn't, didn't really That's, care. Oh, that. I'm truly I like the first one, the, the opening scene. Yeah. And that really, that's a great opening because it grabs that you. That whole scene of guiding the guy back yeah, and everything is, is really good. But then the other ones were just like crazy. <laughs> I suppose that first scene, you don't care who's in there, do you? Because it's just the pains. But I, have to, I think maybe I have a big problem with that opening sequence only because it, it promises so much. It really does because it's so great. And a bit of Kenny Loggins, you can't beat <laughs> Kenny Loggins. And you're like, oh, this is going to be amazing. Oh, and then it just just falls off a cliff edge. And I'm like, oh, that's really exciting. <laughs> so I just feel disappointed. I'm just disappointed from Lincoln, really. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm going to draw it back before we go any further. And ask, one of the first things I wrote down is that I wrote this down. It says the Tom Cruise question. Yeah. Right now, I really like Tom Cruise, do you? Are we fan, Are we generally yes, fans I around do. the table? Love him, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he bloody loves him. <laughs> okay. So, should I go back and watch Risky Business? Because I haven't. Oh, uh, I love Risky Business. I've never seen Risky <gasps> Business either. You too. Are you kidding me? No, never have. Really? Oh, fan- it's fantastic. And what's yes. the other? Yes. All the right moves. I haven't seen that oh, either. Oh gosh, what? You two. Okay. Go home. Right. That's your homework. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Right. So back in. We're going forwards again now. Back into the film. And um, Ice was right, wasn't he? I mean, he is a maverick. He is wrong, yeah, isn't he? No, I he's t- a wrong one. Go I for totally the Ice guy. I totally agree with you. But, right, so... <laughs> <laughs> oh, so this is incredible. I'm so excited. Like. Andy is defending Tom uh, Gun every step of the way. <laughs> I know. It's, it's, it's the Tom Cruise effect. So Tom okay. Cruise, to me, is like... He's a classic movie star. He's, he's like... Mm, he's yes. like he's, go back into the old, like, Hollywood kind of things. And you don't necessarily... They, they're the sort of movie stars that come up more rarely. Or maybe it's just that we need to pull back. You can't tell this until you've had the context. So we won't know who our classic movie stars are now until we've pulled back a good 20 years and we can see how they've stood up and how, how we've assessed their work and everything. But he's got so much going for him. Obviously, he's great looking. He's really charismatic without being smarmy, I think, which is really key. Uh, he's really funny, I think, when he needs to be. He's likeable and he can really act. I mean, this mm. this doesn't demand too much of him, but 
I think what he brings to it is it's inestimably. Uh, is that a word? It is now. <laughs> Inestimably uh, important. I mean, not long after this, he did Rain Man and Born on the Fourth of July back to back, and he's yeah. great in both of them. I mean, he was not Oscar nominated for Born on the Fourth of July. I think he should have been for Rain Man as well. He was. I mean, Dustin Hoffman got all the inte- attention, but I think Tom Cruise had the harder part to play and was better. But like for this part, for this part of Maverick. I think you need someone with all those qualities because Maverick is pretty damn obnoxious. I mean, we see right from the off that opening scene that that we all enjoyed so much. And he, um, yeah, he does something heroic, but he totally gambles with Goose's life without Goose's backup at all. Goose says, no, we haven't got the fuel for that. And he's like, nope, we're off. We're going to go and do it. He's also someone who feels comfortable with just barging his way into a lady's toilets in pursuit of a woman who's openly rejected him, which <laughs> I was not comfortable with. Yeah, I felt uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so, did I. so when Iceman confronts him about him being dangerous and saying, "Yeah, you're a maverick, you put everyone in danger," I totally agree with Iceman, <laughs> but I totally <laughs> side with Maverick, and that's because Maverick is Tom Cruise and Iceman is Val, Val Kilmer. Kilmer. <laughs> <laughs> and I am apparently that shallow. <laughs> oh, I mean, you're right. Is this, poor Val. I, well, you say poor Val. Is this Val Kilmer's <laughs> best role? No, The Doors. Really? Yeah. Okay. I, I, watched, need to go, I, I watched that about 50 times when I was 16. <laughs> I, need, I think I need <laughs> to go... He's exemplary in that film. I need the, to go back and watch that, I think. It isn't, isn't a great film, though. I think it doesn't it actually have, like... A lie. I think it's someone great, actually it, says something like... It's not a great film. Jim Morrison, he, you have ruined Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does. Yeah. It's, think, no, it's yeah. not a great film, but he's great in it. Yeah. So. yeah. I think you're right. I think, I think he does play a very it, I mean, believable role in that. Well, the Willow only, is the only other one. <laughs> no, the only other film that I'm, I really like it, but again, he, he doesn't play... I don't think a huge part in it is Heat with... Oh, oh yeah, yeah. He's got and, no, he's good part in that. Yeah, uh, but I... He, he oh. does a, he does a good role in it, but it's not you know I could have yeah. done that role I really could. <laughs> I wonder if he if he he doesn't give much away does he? You see he's, he's not a classic movie star. No, he's not. He doesn't have those qualities, so I can't tell from his work if he's got what it takes if the right role came yeah. along. He's like Billy Zane. He's like that. Yeah, yeah. they're they're on it's... that same sort of level. They could, but could they? I don't yeah. know. I don't trust you. Whereas when Tom Cruise has got hold of a film, you trust him. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. you've got it. It's fine. Yeah. I know I'm going to enjoy it. At least a little bit because you're in it. So no, I'm, yeah, I'm with you guys on Tom Cruise. Question: It's not a question. No, he is the answer. But <laughs> <laughs> well, the uh, some of the IMDb trivia stuff. I don't know whether to trust IMDb trivia. Can anyone post on that? I don't know. Cause cause you could just post anything. Some of it looks you? so random. I'm like, it really? Is. But then you think you look at over 50 episodes of our podcast, and a lot of it's based on it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, whoops. I know we're we're just spreading the word. Here we are. Yeah. Uh, but if it's to be believed. That holds us up nicely, doesn't it? <laughs> Ask the question rather than making a statement. Um, then Val Kilmer was, was sort of pressured into this. Yeah, he wasn't keen, was he? No, no, for, for contractual reasons. You think? Well, I probably yeah. read the script. <laughs> <laughs> but also, others considered. Were you others considered? Or, or I don't know whether they turned it down or not. I can't remember. But, uh, but I, I know that Tom Cruise was in the frame early on. But the, the list, I don't know whether someone's just gone on the computer <laughs> and written a list of 1980s. Film stars because it says Matthew Modine, Patrick Swayze, Emilio Estevez, Nick Cage, John Cusack, Matthew Broderick, Sean Penn, Michael J. Fox, Scott Bio. Who's this Scott Bio? Uh, Charchi. Yeah, Happy Days. No way, really. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And Tom Hanks all turned it down. Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. No. God, that would have been so completely this is a, so this, wrong. 
really would. And the only name I have for an alternative for the Charlie character is Ali Sheedy. No. no. Oh, yeah, I saw that and thought, no. that's not, no, no, that, no, that wouldn't work at all, would it? No. She hasn't got the authoritative how, kind of thing. How long after the Breakfast Club is that? It's only not a couple of years, long. isn't it? Yeah, not that long. She'd have been she too young for a start. <laughs> well, we talk about actors. Can I just ask what everyone thought of Anthony Edwards? I, he's my favourite thing. I love him. I just think Thank he's great. You. Goose is my favourite character. Says, I love F him. For Goose, the only semi-authentic character. Yeah, <laughs> I love him. He's he brilliant. honestly he holds my attention so much. That I'm like, I oh, thank goodness he's in there. Yeah, seriously. In fact, and when he dies, I'm oh, gutted because he dies. same. There's 40 <laughs> minutes left, and I know, and I'm like, really? I've got to go through the rest of this without him. <laughs> mm. But isn't it a classic build-up? You know, they have that oh, yeah. scene beforehand where everyone's getting along and everyone's singing and having a whale of a time. Yeah. And, hey, look at this guy! Isn't he amazing to be around? And then all of a sudden, your next thing, you lose him. Well, yeah. you say it's the classic build-up, but it's quite like I love that that scene where they, they play Great Balls of Fire, and it was yeah. all. Uh, it's one of my favourite scenes in the film, I think, I and know. apparently Anthony Edwards didn't know he was going to have to do it. He was told, like, very close to it, you're going to have to pretend to play the piano oh, no. and you're going to be singing. And it's all, like, great old camaraderie. But it comes too close. We meet Goose's family and then Goose dies. Mm. And if they, they'd spun that out a bit throughout the build-up, it would have had a better impact yeah. and we would have got a bit more Meg Ryan, which is always a good thing. Yeah, she was good. She but was good it's, it's too close. It's like, right, we get to the point in the film where we know... Goose is going to die soon, so let's up the stakes. And mm. it's it's virtually that scene, and then he dies. Yeah, isn't it's true. It, it so. is too fast. But it was. It seemed like quite a fast film, though, for me. It yeah. seemed to be over in a flash. No, that's that's one thing that I've got as a plus is mm. like the length yeah, of it. It's a plus for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like it's rare that you get like big films that are less than two hours now, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, true. Hour and forty-five minutes, boom, done. Yeah. I wouldn't want to add anything to no, it. No, no. So well, apart from a little bit more. You know, building up of the character of Goose. Well, I think, I think they could have they could have sprinkled that in without adding to the runtime. Yeah, yeah, they could have. I do like the way his his grief is portrayed. Though they let him cry, yeah. which is something yeah. that like I think Top Gun is seen as kind of a quite a macho sort of Reagan era film, isn't it? And mm. yet they they give him some sensitivity. They let him cry. They show it. And... They do, but then they turn to book his ideas and get out on a plane again. Yeah, they, instead they, of allowing they do, him yeah. to grieve. I mean, he wasn't just, you know, his co-pilot or whatever. He was his only family. Yeah. I mean, that should have spun him off for months, nay, years. Yeah. One know, thing, not a couple of days. One thing I wouldn't defend this film about, against is it's kind of... I mean, it doesn't really have a, a strong political stance, no. but it's, like, got that very kind of macho Reagan mm. era thing, hasn't it? Yeah. But, I mean... That doesn't stop it being entertaining. I mean, mm. I don't think it's a surprise to any of our listeners to say that I'm very left wing. Mm. But I've seen like a hell of a lot of left wing films that have bored me to tears. <laughs> yeah. And then there's right wing films like uh, thinking of the off the top of my head, Officer and a Gentleman. Yeah. An awful kind of ideology behind it, but it's really entertaining. Yeah. Uh, and I think, like, to review films well, you've got to be able to have that disengagement, haven't you? And Definitely. Mm. Right, so let's stop our chest beating for a little while <laughs> and, uh, and talk about the Kelly McGillis character, Charlie. Is there, I mean, really, after that all that like, chasing around, is there really a chemistry between the two, do you think? I kind of like it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you look delighted. You, while, uh, well, no, you weren't looking uh, just then as Rachel was shaking her head. Yeah, <laughs> I was, I was, but, you know, I've, I've, got, to, Disagree. I've got to live my truth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. He really uh, has changed. I'm not going to lie you, Andy. <laughs> I think that the, the romance is, is a bit of a slow burner. I mean, we get... When Charlie first has Maverick round to her house, they don't just jump on each other immediately, as you might expect in this kind of film. 
there is some more build up there and they they could have done slightly more maybe but but didn't didn't that come through the production where there wasn't and, and there certainly wasn't the steamy scene yeah. uh, and the public demanded it <laughs> and then yeah, they, they had exactly. to reshoot a few things well, yeah, when they put the steamy scene in I mean I was fully <laughs> <Steamy> expecting <laughs> that's the official term for it Bless now you both. when they steamy put the steamy scene, scene in <laughs> Uh, I was fully expecting it to be gratuitous nudity. Oh, no. mm-hmm. uh, and this is the point, sorry, sorry to interrupt, I'm so sorry, Andy, but this is the point where I'm sat at home and both both my kids, 10 and 14, <laughs> oh, are there. Yeah. Oh, no, don't go too far. Don't go too far. Don't, and they didn't. You, no, they didn't. It I mean, was even cheesy the, and a bit awkward. There's one of those nothing... classic moments like where Kelly McGuess was laying there and she had the, the cover just over mm. uh, where you'd expect. And I thought, any minute now, it's going to slip down a little yeah. bit. But it didn't. They they kept it vaguely tasteful. That said, <laughs> I think this this film features some of the grossest snogging I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm not a prude, but that that scene is like yeah. It's a it's mostly done in silhouette, yeah. and it really kind of focuses on the tongue. <laughs> and they they just sort of oh you see they they lay on like Tom Cruise lays on top of her, and then they put their lips about an inch from each other. <laughs> And then they just tongue each other <laughs> like they're sherbet dabs where they've lost the lollipop. And it's just gross. It is. It is. Trust me, as a as a 12-year-old, I was like, this is really embarrassing. <laughs> it, it wasn't I think pleasant. At, some point, at one point, she sort of licks his chin. And this is like... Good God. It's a... Who chin. knew? Well, I mean, there'll be a website for chin lickers. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you know, specialist interest, isn't it? So I... Uh, <laughs> One of the things I was interested in is thinking, well, you know, is, is this a, is this a family film? Yeah, we've sat down with our family and watched it. But then there's a website called commonsensemedia.org. And as you go to it, and it's quite interesting because the first thing you see on the kids reviews for, for, for Top Gun, very interesting. But it shows the difference to what averagely kids think the age limit should be, what parents think the age limit should be. The kids actually go a bit higher. They say it should be 13 plus mm-hmm. and parents say 11 plus. So that's wow. just really interesting that the kids are a bit more conservative in this. And there is, I mean, as usual with anything like this, parents are allowed to review, children are allowed to review. As always, 100%, the parents should just not be allowed. Just shut up, parents. <laughs> you don't know anything. And it's always the kids. That, uh, I mean, one just straight away just says very mean to women. And that's, you know, mm-hmm. you, you can see as a young kid, they, yeah. you know, that's right. But. Let let, let, let me me read a bit of this out. Um, This is from a 14-year-old. This is the first thing to say is that action movies used to be quite different back in 1986. Uh, There were no frenetic action scenes or CG spectacle. People liked it because it was cool and because of the beach volleyball scene, of course. (laughs) Which, you know, hey, come on, everyone, everyone. What? You telling me you didn't like that beach volleyball scene? (laughs) No. Not just for... No. All right, It's interesting, actually, because... The beach volleyball scene is like constantly all the people talk about online is how it's like really homoerotic and people th- people say, oh, Top Gun is so gay and things like that. And it's all it's all like sometimes quite nasty. And I think that that scene is in there for women. And it's I think that, that people haven't <laughs> I think men are so like convinced that everything is for them that you see like a cast of good-looking men oiled up semi-naked doing stuff and they, they still think it's for them. <laughs> they, don't, they don't think here's something for women yeah. to to enjoy. <laughs> so it says, we continue that the scenes in the air are brilliantly shot and choreographed and it's always nice to hear Danger Zone being played three different times. <laughs> we'll come back to that. When we talk about the soundtrack, I really want to come back to that point because it's well noticed. 
And just look at Tom Cruise's little smile. (laughs) Top Gun probably ranks right up there with Independence Day. Jeez, it's even the American flag on the poster, and it's incredibly cheesy, but not in a bad way. I'm going to skip a bit now as it goes on there, and it says, and you would probably notice it's quite sexist, but we weren't as politically correct back then. Still, though, it would be nice if there was a female pilot. Hope the directors keep that in mind for the sequel. And again, we'll get back to that later when we talk about... What's coming up? But do you know what? I would like to. I would like to say that genuinely, hand on heart, we didn't know anything about the sequel, did we? Until we we were just going to. We were just going to do this. Yeah, honestly. Don't. I'm I'm really. It's a really happy accident because I think two days after we we decided we were doing this, there's there's a sequel. There's a sequel. (laughs) I was like, right. Yeah, honestly, honestly, listeners, we are not that well thought out with our choices. (laughs) Absolutely not. I mean, I I think if we were sat around, I would have probably gone. That's too obvious now. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, you would. (laughs) And the producer would say, "No, we've got to go for it. Get people." (laughs) Quite rightly. Um, Right, okay, so Top Gun is just one in a long line of films to exploit our obsession with the subject of flight. And Andy has been taking a closer look at the history of aviation in movies. Since the dawn of humankind, it has always been our fondest dream to take to the skies, to soar above the clouds to leave terra firma behind for the freedom of flight. For centuries, we had to make do with primitive contraptions like giant kites, balloons and dirigibles to achieve these lofty aims. But with the arrival of the 20th century, the Wright brothers became the first people to successfully fly a heavier-than-air vehicle, and the aeroplane forever changed human beings' relationship with flight. The fact that one of the Wright brothers also became the first person to die in a plane crash did not deter our potentially Icarian ambitions nor did the fact that to this day, theoretical opinion is divided on why planes stay in the air. Our eyes remain firmly trained on the wild blue yonder. Perhaps this element of uncertainty is what keeps our childlike excitement about flight alive. Maybe we're like Wiley e. Coyote when he inadvertently steps off a cliff edge in pursuit of the Roadrunner. We'll stay in the air as long as we don't make the mistake of looking down. Of course, it didn't take long for Hollywood to catch on to the potential flight as thrilling subject matter for the silver screen. The first winner of the Academy Award for Best Picture was William A. Wellman's aviation epic Wings, a silent wartime adventure which featured groundbreaking aerial footage of pilots locked in battle. Wellman had to request extra planes and pilots to be sent from Washington to aid him in his endeavours, with some 300 pilots eventually involved in filming. Second Lieutenant Clarence Irvine played a key role engineering an airborne camera to provide close-ups and even stepping in to fly after one pilot broke his neck. Conditions had to be exactly right for flying, which on one occasion meant the production team had to wait for 18 consecutive days until they could shoot any footage. Ultimately though, the results were worth it, with Wings becoming an immediate critical and commercial success. It laid the groundwork for the success of Top Gun over half a century later, which proved that the public's obsession with flight had not dimmed over time. Airport, the year's most widely read novel, becomes today's most exciting, most timely motion picture. But the ever-present undercurrent of danger that made acrobatic aeroplanes such fun to watch also made them a terrifying prospect. Hollywood never let viewers forget that our favoured flying machines were not foolproof, playing on our worst fears with films like Alive or the popular airport disaster franchise of the 70s. We're gonna crash! We're gonna be killed! I know we're all gonna be killed! raising questions about just how safe planes really are, these films also seem to tap into a latent dissatisfaction with our existing approximation of the miracle of flight. After all, 
When we first looked up to the birds swooping above our heads and longed to join them, did we really imagine doing so encased in metal alongside a hundred other people? No, we imagined flying freely and independently like Iron Man, who, in all fairness, is also encased in metal, even if it is a little more snug fitting. Okay, bad example, let's try that again. No, we imagine flying freely and independently like Superman, able to go where we pleased, when we pleased, at our own chosen speed. Ironically then, many of cinema's most magical flying scenes involve taking a backward step towards modern aviation's primitive forerunners. In Barry Levinson's perpetually underrated mystery adventure Young Sherlock Holmes, retired professor and inventor Rupert T. Waxfatter repeatedly tries to launch a primitive homemade contraption, which, for the brief amount of time he manages to keep it in the air, looks like an enormously liberating solo-flying experience. It works, Watson! It works! We're flying! Likewise, in his dreadfully titled A Midsummer Night's Sex Comedy, Woody Allen's sexually frustrated inventor, Andrew, channels his thwarted desires into creating a flying machine of his own, which actually works. Attempting to look on the bright side of his failing physical relationship with his wife, Alan tells his friend, You know, because of my problem in bed with her, I can now fly. It's no coincidence that both Waxfatter's and Andrew's flying machines have a lot in common with bicycles. Pedal power has never been far from the minds of amateur aviators, and the invigorating solo experience of riding a bike is something many dreamers imagine the ideal flying experience to be akin to. This idea was firmly implanted in the imaginations of whole generations, by an iconic scene in Steven Spielberg's 1982 classic, E.T. The 80s was a decade that saw a significant growth in the number of bike riding scenes in movies. This trend went hand in hand with the greater ratio of pre-teen protagonists on screen. Too often sidelined, their viewpoints trivialised or patronised, children had been dealt a raw deal in movies for decades. But with the shift towards more ambitious fantasy storylines and visual effects-based wonderment, the 80s foregrounded the age group most likely to be immediately susceptible to believing in fantastical things. Bicycles seemed to become a metaphor for the empowerment of a younger audience. Frequently pitted against larger, more powerful vehicles driven by adults, the comparatively delicate, wiry frames of push bikes triumphed time and time again, outrunning cars, trucks and buses by virtue of their spindly manoeuvrability and the unrestrained ingenuity of their riders. Adding flight into the mix, Spielberg extended the metaphor to incorporate the power of the prepubescent imagination. It's a moment of such simplicity and yet such indelible impact that even the dating of the effects cannot wither it. Elliot with E.T. in the basket of his bicycle is lifted into the air by the alien's telekinetic powers and flies in silhouette across the moon. Carried aloft by John Williams' heart-saturating score, it's the cinematic ride of a lifetime. With flight being one of the fondest dreams of our childhood years, E.T.'s flying bicycle surely planted the seeds for the proliferation of bike scenes that followed, and even as later bike films like BMX Bandits kept the thrills more grounded, the notion that the trusty two-wheeler might take to the sky at any moment never left the heads of any kid who saw Spielberg's film. 
given humankind's exploitative nature, one of the most frequent flight fantasies involved hopping on the back of something that can already fly, be it dragons in How to Train Your Dragon or The Neverending Story, winged horses in Hercules or Clash of the Titans, a giant bee in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, or even a sentient magic carpet in Aladdin. If we can lie back and let someone else do all the work, we will. And if they refuse, we could always do what we've been doing for centuries and spitefully stick anything that can fly in a cage. Though we've conquered flight to some extent, it seems our own petty jealousies are something we may never be able to rise above. Do you know what, Andy? It seems pretty obvious to me that you, like me, when you were younger, or maybe even when you were older, or maybe even this week, on a windy day, you've put your coat above your head and tried to take off. Oh, yeah, mm. in that sort of bat-fink way where you yeah. pull it up behind <laughs> you. <Yeah. laughs> With not one thought for the consequences of what would actually happen if you did. <laughs> because that, now, again, as an old man thinking about that, I think, well, if I did take yeah. off, where would... That's that's because we're mavericks. That's hurt. <laughs> oh dear, I've got a phobia of hot air balloons as well. <gasps> I'd love to go up in a hot air balloon. You'd love to? Yeah. No, 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 no. It's just too. There's nothing. It's a basket. Yeah, it's, with a balloon. It's quite a safe phobia to have because you're not going to find yourself in no. inadvertently in a hot air balloon. I, we were driving somewhere once and we saw one in the distance. That, the night, I, right, it's not such a phobia that I can't look at them. Yeah. It's just the thought of being in one. One of them, the eldest, said to me, um, oh, if I give you a million pounds, would you go in there? Oh, God. Do you know what? It's a, it was a really good question because yeah. I said no straight away. <laughs> Wouldn't you? <laughs> For a million? Mm, okay. It's only hot air balloon, right? You say only. What if it stops or, bre- or there's stops. a bird flies through, <laughs> like in, the, in those, those catch the pigeon things? <laughs> You've watched far too much Dastardly and Mudley. Right, OK, so we're going to move towards the end of the film. Thank heaven, says Rachel. Mm-mm. But, hey, Rachel, let's talk about the soundtrack in this. Now, our yeah. teenage reviewer that we read out there from commonsensemedia.org um, talked about Danger Zone being re... And actually, I it wasn't noticed three this. times, yeah, it was. Was this common in the 80s where people would use the same no. track sort of a, a, over a third design? No, I didn't think really. so, and I noticed it straight away. Um, twice, maximum. You mm. wouldn't normally use it three times. But I was trying to remember if Footloose was pre-Top Gun or not, because mm. t- Kenny Loggins obviously had Footloose, mm. and that was huge, absolutely huge as a track. So anything with Kenny Loggins at the time would have been, put it in, put it in. Why you couldn't have done two or three different songs, I don't know. But um, it is a good song. It is a good track. Yeah. And um, it does sort of keep you going. And if, where they've put it, it fits. It's not like, oh, they've crammed it in. It actually does fit where they've put it. Mm. But yeah, it is pretty unusual to do to do that. It's slightly so. lazy. And it's extremely hard to get the score for the film as well. In fact, it's never been released. You can't get the score. You can only get the soundtrack. So you can get the tracks, but you can't get... The, the instrumental stuff. I see. So, which is a bit of a shame because some of it is really quite lovely. But how about Take My Breath Away? What a track. Mm. I've always thought that that is a, an astonishing song. Loved it. Um, but I, obviously you attach it to Berlin. I didn't know George, Georgia Moroda was involved in it, right? No, it? I did not know that either. I have to say, though, you're going to hate me, but I hate that song. Do you? Mm, absolutely hate it. Something, I don't know you two Something anymore. to do with possibly my age, my mum playing it constantly. <laughs> and, there we go. And because of my... You guys didn't watch it when you were kids. I did. And I agree with the kids who are saying it should be a 13 plus because that steamy scene and that silhouette is gross when you're, when you're 12. <laughs> and then there's that music, which is way too... For, for a child, it's not an interesting song for a child. It's really not. So the association in my head, I hear that, I see that, 
I hear my mum singing it in the kitchen. <laughs> and I just hate it. I hate it as a song. I when, think it's really dull. When someone um, says Top Gun to you, what song do you think Danger of straight zone. away? Do you? Because my mum goes yeah. straight to take my breath Danger away. Zone. Absolutely. No, because I blocked it out. You haven't heard my mum singing it. <laughs> <laughs> Can we get her in? Well, yeah, we, <laughs> know, we like absolutely <laughs> know she listens, don't we? Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Mum. Um, we'd really, really love to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> well, can, can we talk? Can we talk about the script? Please do. Now, as long as you're going to, as long as you're going to oh, be. Yeah, yeah. You know, no, I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be uh, complimentary. That's about the script, okay. Then. It's yeah. It's not great. I think. <laughs> I think Tony Scott's direction taps into its sort of efficient crowd pleasing, but. I think there's there's definitely a lot of moments where the badness of the script pokes through. <laughs> Some lines, uh, I mean, this isn't the fault of the script, but they keep talking about bogeys and it makes me yeah. laugh. <laughs> uh, I think that's probably only in our country, that, isn't it? But uh, like, early on, someone says, God damn, I'm covered in bogeys. <laughs> <laughs> I think we, we, we didn't hear dialogue like that again until Dick and Dom in no, the bungalow. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but there's, like, there's one scene where... Kelly McGillis is giving Tom Cruise a phone number, but she's doing it discreetly because it's in front of Slider. Slider's like they're watching him. Slider. Slider. And uh, he thinks that he's been shot down. So he, he like mocks him and Tom Cruise stands up and he swaggers over to him. And you think, right, he's got this grin. And you think he's going he's gonna to shut him down with the greatest zinger now. And he just says, Slider, you stink. Yeah. And then like, he just works off it? like that. Yeah, that showed you. And Slider reacts <laughs> like, "Damn it, he got me." <laughs> and, and he smells and, himself. He, like, yeah, he it's does. Like, oh. He actually sniffs himself. Oh. It's a, that is like, even as for first draft, that's like a placeholder. Surely they could have <laughs> like just a, like a, a half hour script meeting. You could come up with something better to Surely. put in there. Uh, the other thing that really it happens quite early on. And it really kind of niggled me. It's an incredibly offensive line and they give it to Goose, who's my favourite character. It's not fitting at all. I can see this line being in there if they gave it to one of the jerks. But it's when they're, they're sort of Iceman and Slider are squaring up to Goose and Maverick early on in the bar. They're having a bit of a set to. And then Iceman and Slider walk off and Goose turns to Maverick and he says, they were abused children. And I thought, what the yeah, hell that's, is that? That's that not is like it's horrible. I don't even know what to do with that. <laughs> uh, and it really, like, for the next few scenes, I, that just kind of, mm. oh, it stuck in my head. And I thought, that's what is that doing in there? Yeah. But at what point, even in the 80s, was that, like, an acceptable thing to say? And especially since, like, Anthony Edwards eventually, like, came out and said that he was abused as a, as a mm. young man as well. And I think... That can't have been a liney relish no. saying. So, oh, it's really... I know there's a lot of things in 80s films that really kind of rankle with you, but that just really yeah. got to me. I don't think... I, I don't even remember hearing that. I probably just blocked it out because no. like, my goose wouldn't say that. Yeah, it's surprising because yeah. I went online to see if anyone else, like, mm. noticed that. And, and there, there isn't anything. I couldn't find... I could find a few, like, clips on YouTube and people underneath saying lol abuse children and stuff but there was really? no one wow. no one was like saying what the hell with this mm. and like most things have been called out I think it's just such a fleeting moment that yeah. people just file it away but it's really yeah that's real stinking, really it? seriously wrong mm. that that is in there yeah there's, there's lots in that because that's the bar scene you say right yeah so I remember as a 12 year old watching the bar scene and, and loving the song mm. but actually watching it now 
it's incredibly uncomfortable because she's absolutely showing no interest in him mm. at all. Yeah. She's with somebody else, as far as he's aware, and he continues to pursue her into the toilet. Yeah. And then starts like, like pressing on the desk to see if it's possible that it would hold them both. Yeah. It's, it's really creepy. The push it's... that sort of the pushy persistent mm. man in the 80s films was like mm. a, a regular hero, wasn't yeah. he? He's was like even if you watch something like on a lighter tone like Ghostbusters or something. If you mm. watch the way Bill Murray yeah. pursues Sigourney Weaver in that, yeah. again it's aggressive, it's persistent. She shows no interest, he pushes. Mm. And eventually he gets her. And that's the way it played out in mm. 80s films most of the time. I think that's the thing. I, I'd like to her to just, you know, I hate the term kicked him to the curb, but it's like he didn't deserve her yeah. for that behaviour. And um, the, and that whole thing is so swift, the build-up of the, ro- of the romance, if it is a romance. <clears throat> they have like two or three conversations. She admires his, his flying ability. And then there's that awful, cringy... Ugh, when she chases him in the car. Oh, that thing, Oh, yeah. I can't stand that yeah. bit. It just makes me go red. And and she says something about, um, I didn't want everyone to know that I'd fallen for you. I was like, fallen for what? What have you fallen for? Because there's nothing there. It's this just... Again, it's, yeah, that's, well, it's the Tom Cruise thing. That's, Tom just, Cruise is what glosses over it's all It's a good job, it's him. Imagine if it had been Sean Penn, you'd be like, nah. what? <laughs> so, they save the day. There's a big aircraft hangar fist pumping and everyone going whooping and a hollering. <laughs> Tim Robbins, that's the first time I noticed Tim Robbins. <laughs> that's weird. Merlin. Because I didn't notice until like at the end and it was just like Tim Robbins had photobombed the film. <laughs> he's just suddenly yeah. there. Because his name's in it, didn't it? So you think, oh, it's, yeah. I'm gonna, I, and you forget about it and then you yeah. see him at the end going, hey, everyone. Woo, woo. There's Tim. Well, you can't see his eyes before you that. USA. Now, USA. USA. <laughs> <laughs> now, normally... Right now, we would, I mean, we can still speculate here, but we can say, we would think, well, what happened next? You know, did they live happily ever after this, that and the other? But we're going to find out, yeah. aren't we? Well, yes. With Top Gun 2. We will indeed. Maverick. Um, well, I'm slightly concerned. However, Tom's quality of film, apart from The Mummy, is fairly okay. I don't know I don't know who's written it, directed it. I don't know enough about it. But Jennifer Connelly's in it, which gives me some hope. Yes. And Val Kilmer's back. Is he in yeah. it? Seriously? Oh, my goodness. My hopes have just gone back down again. Um. <laughs> no, don't do this to me because I am finally pumped for a, <laughs> for a film, for like a revival film. I'm always shut out of these. Like Aww. the new Star Wars films, I don't care. Like new Bond films, no, I hate Bond, I don't care. And until like this week, I thought, oh, oh the new Maverick film, yeah, I'm, I'm not bothered. But... Now I'm part of it. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. okay. It's going really to be brilliant, Andy. It's going to be brilliant. Well, I, I want it to be good for you. That's what I do. Yeah, I mean, exactly. If you watch the trailer, it's like, well, Maverick still appears to be Maverick. The trailer has obviously jet planes, motorbikes, singing in bars, chairs and desks set up in a hangar for whatever reason. But it does look like our teen reviewer uh, that talked earlier about you know the lack of female pilots there. But I think that was representative of its time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There couldn't have been because um, there weren't any. But there will be mm, now. Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's, there's hope here, right? Yeah, um, I, I genuinely think this should be better hopefully dialogue-wise, script-wise, because I think Tom's got more clout now. Obviously, back then, mm-hmm. he wasn't the star that he is now, so yeah. he couldn't say, I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I hope now he'd go, there's no way I'm saying that. Yeah. Sort it out. And Jennifer Connelly can also say that because she's got a bit of clout too. I can't imagine her and him now spouting the dialogue that they had to spout in the first one. I just hope they don't mess up the flying bits because <laughs> um, obviously for you, Andy, not, they yeah. can't mess I'm up the flying bothered. bits anyway. But we are so much further ahead as regards CG and technology and what have you that it may get even more frenetic for you and it might even be more confusing. 
because that is the the thing that they do with action films now is this quick editing, is quick cuts. But I will, I do want to see it. I do want to see it, mm. and I would love if they put Danger Zone. Hey, in maybe it. this, maybe this is the, uh, the the time when we finally go to the cinema as a spoiler oh, yeah. crew, and <laughs> we could indeed. Mm. One thing I did notice about it. I read what the plot is, and the plot is that so Maverick is now a Top Gun instructor, yeah, and Goose's son is one of the new pilots, so oh. he has to struggle with the idea of training the son of a former friend who was killed. Now I thought that sounds familiar, and the reason why that is is it's the exact plot of Creed. Oh yeah, <laughs> so it, which it did just, really well. Yeah, and Ooh. it did. It revived the Rocky franchise, but. Can just apply in the exact same story, but with planes. Yeah. Well, worker. it's got the Tom Cruise factor. Yeah, so. the Tom Cruise factor, yeah. yeah. That might just help it, it But it's not. The Tom Cruise factor isn't a across-the-board thing. It didn't no, make it Eyes true. Wide Shut a good film. Well, this is very so. true. <laughs> it's very true. It'll yeah. put bums on seats, though, won't it? That yeah. is a guaranteed win for the for the studio. Guaranteed well, it, win. It might work. Yeah, I quite like that he's the instructor now and he's... Mm. I don't know, will it? Will he have a moment where he's thrust into the, the centre? It's oh, named after so. him, isn't it? Yeah. Creed was named after Creed and Rocky was sidelined and it mm. worked well. Maverick is still front and centre in yeah. the title, so... We shall see. Well, listeners, I'm a gog. <laughs> <laughs> I just, just from the from the outset, I've, I've been like a zombie through, through this episode. I apologise for this, just since Andy said how much he enjoyed it. Right, <laughs> OK, it's, it's rating time. And when I think of a rating or something like this, or I'm trying to think of some of the things that go along when we put this together, and believe me, there is a bit of prep that goes into this. Our rating this time, I was thinking, well, all right, we've got Top Gun. It's kind of opposite of Gun, opposite of something. So, you know, I can say, right, is, right, is it Top Gun or something else? I couldn't get around the gun, couldn't get anything to sort of fly. And I thought, right, OK. And then what I'm about to say uh, is really hitting at our 10-year-old listeners. <laughs> but I'm so happy with it. You won't believe it. Okay, so is it Top Gun or is it <laughs> Bottom Burp? <laughs> despite despite all its its many many flaws, it's Top Gun. I do not believe it, Rachel. It's a Bottom Burp for me, I'm afraid. Covered in bogies. Now I noticed this listening back to one of our recent episodes that I didn't give a verdict on it. I'm not going to do the same here. Right. Okay. So thanks to Rachel. <laughs> and thanks to Andy. And thanks to our Radio Academy Award nominated. But as I wrote that, I thought, well, not lately. We haven't done that, Lewin. Not lately. Yeah, come few, on, Johnny. A few years back now. <laughs> go on, pull my finger out. Uh, that's our producer, Johnny Hoare. And, of course, to you for listening. And we'll leave you, as ever, with the genial Andy Goulding. Top Gun is a title gung-ho types compete to claim. It's kind of like the prom queen of the criminally insane. In keeping with the metaphor, the top gun on the pile is easiest to access, therefore also the most vile. The first one grabbed in anger and the first discharged in malice. The first one forced to stand in for an inadequate phallus. If I controlled this metaphor and got to choose what's cool, the top gun would be harmless even wielded by a fool. The deadliest of guns would form the bottom of the heap, where they could quietly rust away in pacifistic sleep. With every layer of the pile, the weapons get less vicious, their impact on society distinctly less pernicious. So what gets to be Top Gun in this tenuous analogy? What wouldn't raise a sniffle from my senseless violence allergy? Well, 
Glue guns are still dangerous if used for getting high, and BB guns can lead to saying bye-bye to an eye. Nail guns and staple guns, still harmful if misused, are buried underneath those far less easily abused. The top gun that I have in mind can't even fire water, and would be safe to give a child, or even a Trump supporter. In tribute to those clowns bedecked in NRA apparel, the top gun is a pop gun with a cork wedged in the barrel. been listening to Spoiler, hosted by me, Paul Tyler, with Andy Goulding and Rachel Bennett. Our theme music was composed by Ron Butcher. If you've enjoyed the show, please do tell your friends about us, share links to our show, or write us a nice review on iTunes. If you'd like to contact us, you can email hello at spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Find us on Twitter or Facebook or go to our website, spoilerpodcast.co.uk. Next time on Spoiler, we're binging on Netflix's German sci-fi thriller series, Dark. The distinction between the past, present, and future is nothing but an illusion. Spoiler was produced by Johnny Hall and is a Joe Schmo production. The show was recorded at the studios of Siren Radio in the heart of the beautiful Cathedral City of Lincoln. Gentlemen, this is Hawk 19. Multiple aircraft, multiple bogeys. I've got my eye on the northern bogey. Contact, multiple bogeys. All right, you got a bogey at 2 o'clock, low Maverick. Roger, that's your bogey. Not one pair, two pair. Repeat, four bogeys. Woods, we've got four bogeys. God damn it, this bogey's all over me.